listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome to oh, another episode to of the oh, People Powered Planet Podcast. Uh, today we have as our guest uh, Michael Walsh. And Michael Walsh is a global citizenship scholar and a, a global citizen philosopher, an expert in advocating uh, that every human being has inalienable rights and uh, to, to all their basic needs and, uh, and to promote those rights and secure their individual sovereignty. Now, uh, he's actually been working on how do we identify, how do we create digital identities globally? Uh, uh, he has uh, uh, a, he talks about the citizen global citizen ecosystem and a design system for how we can identify ourselves as, as individuals and how that plays into creating our, our people-powered planet. Before I get to specifically talk about Michael, I want to give you a little background about why this is important for our show and what it has to do with Gary Davis and the, and the, uh, uh, the World is My Country website, the World is My Country movie, and his, his great story. Gary, yeah, there he is, the world is my country. <laughs> Gary uh, found, Gary looked at the world a different way. He was an actor. And when other people would come across a border, they would see, you know, these border guards in the barbed wire and be intimidated. Gary, as an actor, saw it as a set. You know, these are guys in costume and, and, and all these props, barbed wire stuff, these are props to intimidate us and, and get us to play into their game. So as an actor, he decided <laughs> to undertake bringing them into his game and had incredible experiences around the world as you've seen. But one of the things that happened is, is that, uh, as you know, he, he played some role right at the eve of the that passage of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, mobilizing 20,000 people on December 9th uh, to de demand world citizenship and respect for the rights of all human beings. And the very next day, December 10th, the Soviet Union, who had been adamantly opposing the declaration, stepped aside and let it get passed unanimously. Uh, now, those rights state in them, in Article 13b, uh, it states that every, everyone has the right, let me give you the exact uh, quote here, uh, everyone has the right to leave any country, including his own, and to return to his own country. Uh, so, uh, Gary, when he read to people that declaration, that didn't help, they needed a passport, uh, he created a passport under that mandate of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a world passport. Now, <laughs> what gave him the right to, uh, to, to set up a World Service Authority and to create a, uh, uh, a passport? Well, actually, it's very interesting. The preamble of that Declaration of Human Rights passed unanimously by all the nations in the world states that this Universal Declaration is a common standard of achievement for all peoples and all nations, and to that end, every individual and every organ of society shall, by progressive means, measures, national and international, secure their universal and effective recognition and observance. So it's not just the nations that are supposed are, are obligated by the Universal Declaration of Human Rights to respect human rights, and we know so often they fail to do so but every human being. And so Gary as a human being had a right to create this. Now this passport since 9-11, it's gotten very difficult to use it as a travel document. Uh, but over the years, 95% of all nations have not only stamped, 
passports and visas, but people have, I mean, I've experienced myself, mailing in the passport, goes through a processing office, it comes back with a visa. Uh, border guards, uh, officials have, in fact, when I traveled to Venezuela, they actually had a machine with all the names of all the countries with a passport. And they had a button for Mundo, you know, it was officially in their thing. So why is this important? Why is it important to have an identity? Well, there are over 50 million stateless people in the world who have no means of identity, no means. And uh, so many of them are stuck in situations where they can't travel, uh, can't get out of refugee camps, can't, can't even go into, can't even secure medical care for the kids, can't get their kid enrolled in school without an identity document. So the World Passport has played an incredibly valuable role to help these people do that. You know, they can get this identity document and they can get their kid, kid enrolled in school. They can get, get them the shots and medical care they need. Uh, you know, uh, there are so many ways that this identity is, is crucially important. Uh, so right in our movie, uh, we show the case of Yasin Bey in, in the full version of the movie. Now, when we had to cut it down to an hour, we couldn't include that for the TV version. But the, in the full version, we show the challenges that Mostef, also known as Yasin Bey, faced when he tried to use the world passport to leave South Africa to play in a musical gig, and he was actually detained for it. And, and we go through that whole story. Uh, the head of the World Service Authority now, David Gallup, warns in the film that when you use the world passport, you may be detained, your rights may be violated, uh, it may be confiscated. So this is a tool, Gary would always say this is a tool for claiming your human rights, but it's not an assured travel document. Now, what happens is when you use this tool, <laughs> very interesting things happen. First of all, this is a way to identify yourself with humanity as a whole. There's a, there's a feeling that comes when you say, my God, you know, I'm, I am a world citizen. You create that identity in your head and you, and you take this wisdom of the sages of the ages who have all said we are one, and you actually have a physical document you can feel and hold that identifies yourself as a world citizen. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a good feeling about having it, but it's also an educational tool, Gary would say. We can teach other people about it. It's also uh, a way of standing up. Uh, I mean, I've had a variety of reactions from border guards. I usually present my US passport first, and then I present this just because when I presented it first, I have been hassled in the past. Uh, we actually experienced uh, when we traveling to India, four out of five times, Gary's passport was recognized once officially by Prime Minister Nehru, that you know, one of the key founders, and uh, called it the passport Gandhi would have carried. But then, it uh, on one of his trips, he was actually turned back and sent away and detained, and we filmed some of that. We saw we saw pieces of that, and yet we also filmed of him when he got into to uh, India on the world passport and the same conference where he was detained and sent back, another person came to that conference the same year, the same month, within a few days of Gary, and actually had their world passport stamped. So it's very arbitrary. It's up to individual border guards. And, and when you send it in for a visa, it's up to the staff and so on that, that, that fulfill that. Um, but in any case, Gary was kind of a pioneer in creating a digital, uh, creating an identity. And today, uh, there are other people getting into the game. And that's why we're talking to Michael. Um, the, uh, you know, it used to be that uh, encyclopedias were only for learned scholars and we had Encyclopedia Britannica, and, you know, you had to be some super expert. Now everybody in the world can interactively uh, be part of putting information in, Wiki, in, in Wikipedia. You know, here we have an encyclopedia that's now interactive for the people of the world. 
Same thing with currencies. Currencies at one time were, you know, only nation states put out money. Now we have cryptocurrencies and new currencies are rising where, where the people of the world, you know, can get together. And Gary was a pioneer in that one too. He created the kilowatt dollar and the idea of world money, uh, which is really advanced even beyond the cryptocurrencies because they're all individual currencies too. Gary saw one currency for the planet that we could, we could create. But now we're very excited to talk to Michael because now there are a number of players coming aboard creating new digital identity documents. There are people saying, are taking that responsibility they have under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights to let people identify themselves. And you know, when I visited David at the World Service Authority, they have file cabinets full of desperate people and, and people talking about the powerful tool that how this got them out of refugee camps, how it saved their family, how it, how it transformed their lives. And uh, they've, they've had people at the UN send, uh, <laughs> well, there's actually a whole separate uh, podcast about that. If you go to the peoplepoweredplanetpodcast.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page, it's, it's, a, it's a World is My Country uh, club page, you'll see uh, the actual two, two podcasts we did with David, where he talked about the power, power of this document right now, where the ways it's helping refugees and how ways it's helping people. Uh, well, for instance, when gay rights were outlawed, it helped gay, the, the, the world marriage certificate based on another clause. Every, every document they issue is based on a clause in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that helped people to be able to get housing together or when, when their marriages wouldn't be recognized. Or, you know, there's zillions of ways this, is, this can be a useful document, even, even in this era when uh, nation states aren't officially recognizing it. Uh, so uh, what I want to talk to Michael about today is the, some of the cutting edge work he is doing in working to create a secure digital identity. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your, your, your system and how this, how this ties in to being citizens of one world. Thank you, Arthur. Uh, absolutely. Everything uh, that the world citizen uh, book and everything that Gary Davis uh, created was such a revelation, revelation to me, sorry. Uh, when I discovered it, you know, just like by meeting you and Melanie uh, right about a month ago. And so I've been trying to catch up, but what a great story and what a amazing documentary that you created that told his life story because uh, it's very much in line with with uh, the concept and philosophy of global citizenship. So first of all, global citizenship is really interchangeable. Uh, the, I see no differentiation between the two. So what our, our primary goal, what we want to achieve is to use a new type of technology called Holochain to uh, have a distributed system of citizen governance where each citizen can have a voice, where you can really move towards a system of digital democracy and uh, citizen voice. And so- Now, I can you explain for those of us who are, are laymen in this, uh, what is Holochain? Sure. Uh, well, do, do you want me to, uh, I could do a couple of slides on the pitch deck, which would help to uh, bring that to light. You want me to start that now or? Sure. Sure. I, uh, well, first you explain it in your own words, and then let's show. Let's see the slide. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, Holochain is a great new technology. I would say it's a variant. It's an advanced version of blockchain because Bitcoin itself is built on blockchain. Bitcoin is not blockchain. It is built on <clears throat> on blockchain, and uh, Holochain 
set out to develop a new system which takes care of all the issues and, and technical problems that blockchain in its original uh, formation that it has. And so Holochain allows the creation of independent nodes. Well, wait, before we get into that difference, for many people, even blockchain kind of eludes us. Uh, let me try to see what I tell you what I, I think blockchain is, and you can correct me. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think the idea is that you have all, uh, you have, you have uh, all of these, uh, each person on their computer is, is verifying the information. Well, let, let's put it this way. Originally, you have your checkbook and you have a ledger in it and you write a check and you keep your check ledger. Right. Now, the bank has a big central ledger where they keep all that. But people said that's vulnerable. Somebody could crack into the, Absolutely, the bank. Absolutely, that's correct. Fall apart. So instead, how do we create a distributive ledger kind of that goes to everybody? Uh, you know, we call them spreadsheets, you know, that, that lay it out, right. what, who owns what, who has what. Well, that's, they create a system where interactively, everybody can help be without anonymously verifying the data of everybody else. So we know that all these, these, uh, all these uh, checkbooks in case are all balancing. You're all balancing globally, interactively, and we've all got a, a chain that makes this work. So you have currency and the currency is valid and people aren't making it up and so on. Is that kind of a, 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 a is that, am I grasping it? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually pretty accurate, uh, Arthur. What, what blockchain is, is it's a distributed ledger which is recreated across computers around the world. So it's immutable. So let's say a hacker tried to attack a couple computers. He could successfully change a few ledgers, but you can't change all of them. And so that's what, it, it creates a permanent uh, record and it's replicated. The Genesis blockchain was the first block and it's just basically a block full of data. And then when it's full, the blockchain miners will verify it. Now the, that's so quickly as I can, you know, the. The main thing about blockchain that, that is a weakness is that to this day, the supercomputers that they're using, that the miners are using, they have to establish universal consensus across every block that's ever been created. So this is, just takes so much time for the computers, even the most advanced supercomputers. And so and by, consensus, you mean, by consensus, you mean they're all verifying the same data and all agreeing. That they have to go back through every block and verify every one. And, and right. you know, I'm not, I'm no expert, but that's basically what happens. And right. so it does take a lot of supercomputing. It takes a lot of energy. They say that all of the computers that are mining for blockchain is using as much energy as the country of Ireland. And mm -hmm. so you can see that it's, it's not uh, eco-friendly either. It is very energy intensive energy intensive and computer intensive. So to wrap up this, uh, you know, technical discussion, the thing to remember is, you know, what Holochain does is they're not requiring universal consensus across every node or every bit of data, but it uses a system of localized and limited consensus in order to process much quicker. And uh, it's also distributing the processing power to all of the members on the Holochain network that can either process on the background of their computer, so unused computer processing power, and they'll be rewarded with the Holofuel token. Okay, you, you follow? Okay. Yeah, that so, was making sense, yes. Compared to the blockchain where you have all these miners that are using supercomputers, they're getting paid in Bitcoin, right? In the Holochain world, it's distributed across all the members who can, so it's a distributed, much more democratic uh, uh, compensation system where you or I 
or anyone who buys, uh, Jason Cook is on the call with us today. He owns a Holo Port, which is a dedicated box, which uh, is like a kind of mining tool. And it, he will process Holochain transactions in his box and he will earn crypto for that. So uh, let's leave it at that on the technical discussion. And uh, if you want, I can bring up a couple of slides and we can sure. jump into the, the more important concepts that we want to talk about today, which is, you know, how are we going to establish the system of individual sovereignty and how can a, a global citizen or world citizen passport help us uh, to get social movements verified, identified, and uh, be able to get people behind them in a meaningful way. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to share my screen. Here we have the, the verified identity citizen network. So this is a, a big challenge for a lot of uh, technology platforms. You know, how do you verify the identity? So there's several technical ways that we'll be able to do that or that we won't go into. But the idea is uh, independent nodes where, you know, the, this is decentralized and there is no corporation or government in control of the network. So it's truly peer-to-peer -peer and truly independent. So by definition and by design, Holochain is a democratic platform. When we look at the existing social networks uh, in the world today and all of the, the problems that we see coming from them, it's be, by definition, they're centralized and they're obviously scanning your data, developing a profile on all of the members, using uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms in order to uh, drag you into discussions or in order to continue to drive engagement on their platforms. But we see fraudulent profiles. We see uh, groups that are, you know, sharing their propaganda, violations of privacy by reselling your data and so on. So what we see lacking is a focused overall objective or goal of, of you know, advancing human rights or advancing environmental causes, you know, to their credit on Facebook, we do see uh, citizens can self-organize on Facebook groups. And this has been, uh, that's a big story right there where we've seen, you know, revolutions have been started. Uh, I think the Arab Spring, it was mostly organized on Facebook. So it is a great organizing tool. And even governments have used Facebook to make official government proclamations in order to get it out. So. What we want to do with the Global Citizen Network being peer-to-peer -peer and decentralized is have a true authenticity network where you don't have all of those negatives that we just saw. And here we have what I discussed, the holo ports and no server farms. So no centralized massive warehouses full of servers like Google and Facebook are forced to use in order to process the tremendous amount of data on a daily basis. Uh, the Holochain network can be operated in a totally distributed way. So that's a huge advantage right there. On these individual nodes with an individual verified profile, that's where we want to establish the sovereign identity and uh, have the, our first step might very well be to connect with the World Service Authority and say, let's share this information and let's, let's reach out to all of your existing members and, and get their physical passport identity 
transferred onto the network so they have their online identity, which is permanent and encrypted and safe. Mm. So another advantage is the each node is a blockchain in and of itself. So each node you can use for your own private data and you can own your own data and it won't be scanned and it won't be violated. And you could have such things such as your own, your own medical data, your, all your medical history. And then you would have the capability of sharing it only with the parties that you wish to share it with. And you would actually have ownership. We know that's a big problem, especially in the United States where basically corporations and medical establishments have your medical data and so on. And it's hard to even get to it. So we'll uh, wrap this up here. I don't want to go too deep into the pitch deck, but uh, it, it is a gamified system where we will have the GC University to educate uh, in concentrated. GC University is the Global Citizen University. Yeah, that's right. GC short for Global Citizen. And then we can also have our own uh, cryptocurrency coin, the GC Cash coin, which uh, can become a source of funding for us. And then our part of our ecosystem will be tying to an online eco bank, which is already has a reward system in place and doing amazing things like tree planting and automatically offsetting your carbon emissions. And then connect with uh, Earth Hero Eco Store where only the, the highest quality sustainable products are. So that will be our, that's where we can earn some revenue and that's where we can drive engagement and get people moving in the right direction for personal change for uh, starting with the environment. So here we see the university playing out and this is the last slide I'll share here. So it'll show how we're, we're gonna start at level one by covering all these topics in sustainability. It's very approachable, uh, relatively simple concepts, but you'll be able to see how, you know, the products that you buy do have an impact. And so the more savvy you are as an eco-conscious uh, consumer and everything that you buy, the, the better that you can contribute to uh, taking care of the planet. At level two, uh, we introduce uh, higher levels of uh, education modules and ta start talking about things like social justice and human rights. And then when you get from level one to level two, you can make uh, within the holochain, there's a thing called smart contracts where we can introduce uh, pledges where you make pledges for your personal change on a personal level for everything that you learned at level one. Okay, at level three, we'll start uh, focusing on digital democracy, uh, introducing our voting system and introducing concepts of uh, social movements and identifying the most important social movement of all is uh, world peace. And I would second that by saying uh, the fight for the climate and uh, getting the climate back in balance. So here we have uh, what Arthur introduced everything that's so critical is a legal framework for the individual to have sovereignty. And this is where we want to really focus our, the rest of our discussion today, I would say, is how, to, how do we establish this? You know, we're kind of talking about the creation of a global constitution, so to speak, where you know, the individual can have ultimate sovereignty if we have the platform where we can connect and, and actually build consensus on whatever the social movement might be. And the Earth Charter is, is an amazing document. It actually took several years to create. 
and uh, I think over 100 nations were involved in its creation. So I encourage everybody to look into the Earth Charter, and they're currently working on a revision, I believe. So I think the combination of the Earth Charter and this Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we have the, the best foundation for, uh, you know, this is what we believe in as global citizens or world citizens, and that it is the platform in the way that we can, uh, we can extend these rights, like Arthur was talking about, especially for these undocumented people. I think there's roughly 1 billion people. So one seventh of our population is undocumented and is, is just an enormous problem because they can't receive social services. Uh, they can't travel between borders. Uh, they have no identity, uh, what, either because they're a refugee or because of uh, civil wars and so on. So there is uh, also another organization <clears throat> very important to people could look into. It's called the World Identity Network and they're doing, uh, they're much more advanced than we are. They're, they're much further along. They have the support of Richard Branson and started three years ago. So we're trying to reach out to them and find out what they've built on blockchain to create a system of online digital identity. This is really an overarching goal that uh, needs to be created as soon as possible so we can protect the rights uh, and, and have identities for these undocumented people. So to finish up the, you know, the level four, we're able to accomplish some of these things here is, uh, you know, how do we start this global conversation about transforming industry and uh, our transportation sector, all of which uses so much uh, fossil fuels nonstop. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking to see our global emissions have really not gone down after multiple global negotiated treaties starting back in 1992 up to the 2015 Paris uh, Global Climate Accord which was signed by 192 countries. I think there's 193 countries in the United Nations. So we're not changing the, the story with the climate. We have not made progress. The only dip in global emissions we have seen is the result of the global pandemic where you saw a, a little drop off temporary. Here's your, your global emissions year over year over the last 40 years. And you see this little blip downwards just a little blip downwards when the pandemic hits. So the pandemic is really our, it's our inflection point. It's our, it's our moment of global change that we have to seize because we can see that uh, it is possible. We did reduce emissions if there's a, well, the reason was is that industries were shut down and, and uh, a lot of the air, airlines were grounded, right? That's why our emissions went down and scientists were able to detect that drop in emissions. But we do face enormous challenges as a species. And, uh, you know, the, the outlook is not pretty. And we need something like this to uh, start moving towards a, telling a different story and bringing a new reality to our uh, industrial civil systems in the world. Uh, well, thank you. That is very crucial. And what a crucial question. I mean, it's true, humanity is facing uh, uh, its ultimate challenge, whether it'll even continue to exist on this planet or not. And we have very intelligent people thinking about interactive ways of, of creating shifts. And we have several uh, very important people, part of this podcast, who uh, have been working in this area. So very soon, we're going to turn it off to, over to their 
uh, questions and interactions. But before we do, I want to say that I was particularly excited by your idea of maybe working with uh, David Gallup and the World Service Authority to uh, upgrade the passport to include a digital identity with it. So it can become, because it has this incredible history of being, you know, stamped by almost every nation in the world and having a, a background of, of, of over 70, 60 years of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of being used in the world. Uh, I think the idea of upgrading it to a digital platform and giving it a digital identity and help, helping it be a part of this, because it could be, be that the big corporations, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, they get together, the Elon Musk and others, and they create a digital identity. Uh, but we're also seeing in the world how uh, some often, often like, as you were mentioning, the problems with Facebook and becomes a way of manipulating us for sales and so on. And how do we, the people, uh, create our own interactive uh, identity that uh, that 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 can be bottom up and that can uh, can support not only the stateless people around the world but give the people who already do have other passports a chance to identify with humanity as a whole and to and to have that feeling of interconnectedness and to uh, have that uh, you know something changes in your mind when you click to thinking of yourself as a world citizen suddenly all these problems that seem unsolvable when you're stuck inside that box with the nation state thinking, suddenly you're liberated to whole new ways of looking at these problems and being able to solve them. So I'm glad we're stepping out into that uh, pattern of being world citizens. Uh, and uh, let me turn it over to some of the questions because I see we're already having some in the chat box and we also have uh, people on board who have been working in this similar fields to you. And I'd love to get their, uh, them to say a little bit about them, say, themselves, people like uh, Jan and Daniel and uh, what Cynthia and others, and uh, to, to join in in this discussion of uh, asking you some questions and uh, contributing to this discussion of how do we, how, do, how does creating a, a, a verifiable identity so that each one of us as human beings, we know it's not some robot, some, some, some bot making fake stuff. Each of us has a voice at the global level, both in, in being able to say I am and being able to say I make a difference in the world. So uh, are we ready for some questions, Melanie? We have just a really great comment from Cynthia. Cynthia, I just wanted to read, you said, uh, yes, the previous diagram has brought me clarity. Thank you. Once the pyramid is flipped, how best to improve the status of the social contract? Uh, the answer is source, which brings to the level added of environment. Very lovely, thank you so much. Do you have any comments on that, Michael? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there there is such a there's such amazing movements that have just appeared like in the past few years. Greta Thunberg with her Fridays for Future. You know, what what we have to do is uh, create this platform to give them the platform that they need to organize and and connect globally. Uh, it's, it's their world, you know, it's up to us, uh, older folks, to do everything we can in our power to empower the youth movements that are afoot. And uh, it, it's heartbreaking that we've not made uh, much progress in the last 20 years when all, all of the, the knowledge uh, and this, the scientist warnings have been right here, but Capitalism is a machine and it does not want to slow down. It wants to accelerate. It wants to uh, get resources and turn them into money. And how they get the resources is not always uh, done in an ethical way. And we know all of these things. So 
I think the the environmental story is is the great starting point. Uh, it is the it is up there among the top social movements. And I think when I, when I was speak, talking about the world peace movement, you know, we need to start this conversation of, uh, you know, the the current state of the Cold War, which does exist today between China and the United States and Russia, uh, China building bases in the South China Sea and uh, China building aircraft carriers, all of this, all these efforts towards militarization and domination, which uh, we could say is the colonial or the nation state mindset for domination. That's really the story that has to change. And then it's key for the environment, because if we do somehow by a miracle achieve world peace, look at the world peace. Uh, what I like to say is the peace dividend of you know, we don't need to disband all of these military structures. I mean, they're great organizations in and of themselves. They just need to repurpose their mission. What is their mission? You know, uh, all of these ships can become scientific vessels and, and do research, or they can be delivering aid around the world when disasters hit. We increasing hurricanes and natural disasters. Aid needs to move quickly to help people that are stranded and and starving. So I think the military infrastructure can be repurposed and uh, have them become, you know, the Army Corps of civil engineers and be building bridges and be building solar systems and, and around the world and take transferring the technology that we have to the third world for smart infrastructure development, which is what the United Nations calls the Sustainable Development Goals, which is uh, what globalcitizen.org is working closely with the United Nations to get this story out about how we need to develop sustainably and bring the best technology to the forefront and share it with, with countries around the world. So, Wow, Michael, I love that. And I love people don't realize, yes, we could use the military structure for so many better things. I mean, absolutely. I thank you for bringing that up. And thank you so much for clarifying a lot of this information. A lot of people are kind of in the dark and uh, putting it into layman's terms. That's very helpful. So thank you for all this. And um, we do have a question from Daniel. Um, Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, great presentation. This is like so cutting edge. And uh, I'm forcing uh, Larry to listen to it too, who I care good for. <laughs> so. <laughs> He's good. Thank uh, Stanford educated. Uh, he's from another planet because he was born before the A-bomb went off at Hiroshima. Oh. So Tim Leary used to say everyone who was born before the atomic explosion is from a different planet. <laughs> so we've got uh, two planets represented here in Thousand Oaks. Uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of a, you know, one seventh of the people is, is non-identified. I mean, what a crippling issue for human rights. Uh, but the question is, you know, one, not one vote per CPU, because you can spoof uh, computers, obviously. So uh, to, I think to create proof of humanity, maybe have like, uh, other people can vouch for you on the uh, on the blockchain or on the on the exactly. ledger. Good idea. Yeah. So, uh, you know, take your ideas, put them in a spreadsheet, make them semantically web readable, which means machine readable and human readable. And then we can create this quality progress kind of quality policy. I call it Cuponomics, uh, you know, because the key to like defusing all this anti-globalist sentiment is saying it's voluntary. It's an opt-in. No one's going to cram these global things down your throat. We've got, you know, 
Because if you ask like the John Birchers, what's your solution? You know, how are we going to save the, the biosphere? How are we going to save Spaceship Earth? They, they really don't have one, but they, they know they don't like the coercive, you know, top-down mega control solution. So let's create this bottom-up voluntary, uh, you know, progress solution. And uh, yeah, I, you probably already have an answer to that proof of humanity question, but uh, that's my well, thank little you, Daniel. thoughts on yeah, it. it. That's really, and it, it is no easy challenge whatsoever to develop, you know, uh, get how do you onboard a billion people on and verify their identity and make sure they're authentic you know this is a monumental challenge and, and i do not have the answers to that uh whatsoever now there's certainly uh you know there's many tools that we could we could try to implement and then that's going to be our big challenge in in developing the platform is what what are the multiple ways that we can verify identity going from you know zero someone who has zero documents whatsoever to somebody that might have some documents and so on. But I like your, I have uh, heard of that idea. Uh, you know, think about LinkedIn, you know, it's a great comparison, you know, say I have, uh, I think I have about 4,000 uh, connections on LinkedIn currently. Now, I don't know 4,000 people, but I have connected with them <laughs> in one way or another over the years in a tangential kind of way. So some of them I do know well, they could vouch for me and say, yes, I, kn I know Michael Walsh. And so we could have some sort of system where uh, other people on the network have vouched for your identity. I think that's an insightful uh, comment and a, and a good way to verify identity. So that along with multiple other tools, whatever we can come up with to verify identity, this is the holy grail that's so essential uh, to any kind of network that is created in the world moving forward. Because we see that Facebook is, is can, in my opinion, cannot be fixed. I mean, and, and they've admitted it themselves. You know, it's just so big and there's only so much they can do. Anybody can jump on there and create, put on a costume and start a new profile in three minutes. And there's nothing they can do about it. So how do we learn from what they have created? You know, there's over two billion, two point three 2.4 billion people on Facebook this is an extraordinary phenomenon for you know talking about the big picture so we know it is possible to create a global network the question is how do we build a better one well first of all we decentralize it and second of all we're gonna have to try to figure out how to get verified identity and then third of all something that I haven't touched on yet really is that what is the purpose for being here on this net. And uh, is, are you going to post pictures of your, your pets and comment, or are you out to say, what can I do? Like what Arthur was saying, you know, I am a citizen, I have purpose, and I want to do good, I want to do well in the world. So, how do we connect people to get them involved with projects and, and start? And then that's what our job creation system is all about. It's actually a wealth transfer system. If we can get, uh, I saw that. I saw yesterday that uh, uh, the, the wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos donated $4.3 billion out of her total net worth of $60 billion. So that's a great start, right? There's the giving pledge for billionaires. So there's tremendous amount of money that can go into foundation that we're connected to where we start a job system and we get young people can work in the field that they want to work in. And we can connect them to a nonprofit, which will get a good 
employee for free with the right skill set, we make these connections. We can do that on a citizen network and then we get them paid with a real salary. And, and I would think a good salary, right? So yeah. they can launch their careers and be working in the field, whether it's marine biology or uh, rescuing animals. It can be any field that they want to work in and look how hard it is for young people to get a job now, especially given the pandemic and where they may be just devastated because the university system has been transformed to online. They need to be working in their fields and, and getting, you know, vocational training and whatever it is to, 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 you know, we need to self-actualize as human beings. We need to have the resources on an individual level, you know, to do what we want to do. Uh, it's, yeah. I've had a lot of sacrifices myself over the past 10 years in order to be able to study and learn and, and do the things that I've done and connect with globalcitizen.org in New York and travel there. And I got to present to their board of directors. So, you know, I've only been able to do this because, you know, on a bootstrapping. So <laughs> what I want to do is like, let's end this bootstrapping self-funded, you know, system and let's get these young people and, and older folks that are looking for a job too. And let's get them, working and contributing in a meaningful way and it get them paid uh, and I think you know, Michael, no why we can't do that yeah it's so so sad people young people they just what's got the most money i'll go for that and people are so unhappy in the jobs they're doing they're not in the right jobs they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing here so thank you wow so, so much there's so much here we got to get to our next question we do have um jerry tell me if you go ahead jerry with your question thank you melanie uh, Michael, uh, I loved your presentation. I think that is cutting edge and I think that's something we need to work on. Uh, the question I have for you, uh, I work with Citizens for Global Solutions. You know, I say I work with them, I'm a volunteer and I've been working recently on the uh, Facebook page, trying to promote that page, trying to get a message out there. Citizens, I don't know if you know, you're familiar with Citizens for Global Solutions, but they promote the concept of world federalism, global citizenship, one world, that kind of thing. But I wondered what kind of suggestions you have in terms of getting the message out uh, on Facebook, or maybe you think another uh, site is better, or anything you have to say about how I can get a, a message out. Thank you. Well, I, I'm glad you brought, brought up that group. Uh, I think Facebook is fantastic for organizing, and uh, we need what one of my short term goals right now is to. You know, Arthur has brought to my attention some amazing group. And Arthur, I wanted you to talk a little bit in a few minutes, talk about ID 2020. That's another, that's a, a huge conference that was being held in New York every year where experts around the world were talking about, okay, how do we create this uh, system of verified online identity? So I think that's step number one. That if we can establish that platform, that's a, a huge uh, first step. And then from there, uh, my comment uh, for what you're talking about for global solutions and what, you know, going back to the Gary Davis story and everything that's in this book, about <laughs> how he talked about creating a world government. I think that's some, a, a spot right there that I'd like everybody to give it some thought. You know, we need to get away, run away from this idea of creating a world government because it, you know, Gary was very well-intentioned, but that's going to scare off a tremendous number of people right at square one. You know, you want to create a world government. 
I don't think that's the answer. What we want to create is a system of world governance. And uh, mm. there's a there's a local man here in San Diego, and uh, look at his website local-earth.org, and he's working in the Earth Charter. And I was blown away by saw how advanced uh, it is what they're doing with the Earth Charter, and they're talking about uh, there's a uh, well we'd have to get into that on it because I'm just now learning what they're doing, but it's 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 about a united earth you know whatever we create as a concept for global connection and like a global constitution you said world federalism i'm not so familiar with that term but i think what we should call it is citizen governance and what they were talking about uh, his name is uh, joshua alvord a-l-v-o-r-d uh, is a system of uh gosh i'm getting lost in these ideas but uh or maybe, maybe we should jump in with a little bit of, uh, yeah. uh, I know Jan has been very, uh, very much working on a virtual state and some of the issues you're talking about. I don't know if you're ready to say anything about that, Jan. I think we're going to have you on a separate podcast for your own talk. But are you, uh, uh, do you have comments either on that or on ID2020? Or are you working in that same area? Well, maybe there is a chance to be back on that uh, early next year. We're in discussion. And it reminds me also of a connection uh, Arthur knows as well. And that's the lady who won this Global Challenge Prize on uh, global governance. So that's a separate story, uh, issue, but maybe it's nice to bring Michael in contact with those people as well, who won this Swedish award two years ago. Um, and maybe off, offline we can pass so uh, I share information. And as to Michael's uh, presentation, thanks so much. Um, and the four of us earlier this year, we had uh, we were in touch with Arthur and, uh, and Melanie, and we are more or less stuck on similar ideas, and we're uh, what. Uh, and where we got stuck is the mindset uh, that it's all driven by, you mentioned already, nation states, NGOs, whereas there is a need for another approach. How do you reach hundreds of millions of people who are effectively non-existent? Yes. And we haven't found the answer. Um, and you end up being in touch with um, people who are uh, willing to to sponsor or NGOs or or governments, but governments are not interested in supporting these people. In the contrary, they want to get rid of them. There. Yes. Well, we, obviously, we have a tremendous. You know, look at what Europe has been facing over the last several years with migration, and you know, Germany uh, was open-hearted and and allowed a tremendous number of. Refugees into their country, and it's created uh, civil friction and between the different cultures that have clashed and not necessarily, you know, meshed together as we would hope. So, I, I think, uh, you know, the answer lies in this concept. You know, I think one way to look at the world is we need to see 
what is the infrastructure that exists in all of these countries? Why are people running away from their countries and having to go to a developed country at our own border here in the United States? They're coming from Central America where gangs have taken over or climate change and hurricanes come out and wipe out their crops and they lose everything and they're just trying to start over. They're trying to survive. So I think if we look at the lens of global sustainable development and we transfer our technology and best practices of construction, dome homes, have concrete, you know, things and build the homes and infrastructure and everywhere in the world will have clinics and schools and uh, security. So that will solve, that's the only way I see of solving a refugee crisis is that you've got to rebuild nation states that exist in uh, Guatemala and Honduras and uh, you know, these, these countries need to be brought under control. And if the United Nations peacekeeping forces need to go in there, you know, I don't know, that could be a solution, but there needs to be social stability and there needs to be basic human needs met everywhere. And, and that is where our current global system is failing utterly. And like you said, you know, governments are overwhelmed with their own issues in their own countries today within our current system. How do we create a sustainable development in all around the world that's that's our big challenge and it needs to be based on sustainable energy and it, their development needs to come through sustainable energy not through burning through more fossil fuels to build everything that needs to be built around the world so let me just jump in on one quick thing on the idea of uh i think the you're right that the problem has to start with the breakdown of these nations but it's not really a failure of those nations so much as a system which has forced nations that are the, providing the resources that are, that are necessary for the world and for creating our phones and computers and so on, and, and created a continuation of a kind of colonialism which has extracted that and kept them from, and, and suppressed militarily social movements that would empower the people in those countries to take control of their resources and to be players on the world field, field stage where they could support their own people and not have to have them all running out. So it's not a matter of sending in peacekeeping troops to suppress them, just the opposite, that we need to pull out <laughs> the, the, what is suppressing them and allow those people the power to, to organize, like you mentioned in Arab Spring, but also throughout Latin America, people who are citizen movements coming together to take control of their resources and to contribute on the world stage as, as citizens and not to be uh, having people flee. So all we have to do is, is get that sort of, uh, remnants of the imperial system off of them and people will come together in more positive ways. But I just want to jump on that a minute before we turn it back to Melanie for more yeah, questions. That was excellent, Arthur. And um, yeah, we need human rights all around the world. Um, yeah, we, want, we just want to go to our next question. We do have Claire. Claire, go ahead with your question. I think sort of you're combining two uh, problems. One is the money uh, issue. And so I ask, uh, is it similar to credit union? The second is I am a world federalist. and It is about uh, countries that uh, um, are, act like states as part of a, a one whole. Uh, and uh, how would you guard against deposits from drugs and arms? And could national digital banks incorporate ecology, human rights, and health? So are you talking about on, on our platform, how we would incorporate a, a form of banking? Uh, no, I, I'm asking if national banks could do that. There's a, a, an idea about Canada making a special bank uh, that would be um, uh, run by ecological ideas and uh, 
normal digital things and uh, have identification without having banks. The age we're living in right now, I mean, the financial world obviously is, is being turned upside down with the, the concept of cryptocurrency being capable of being peer to peer uh, and bypassing the tra tra traditional stranglehold that, you know, these huge banks have on, you know, who gets money, who gets loans and what gets funded and what gets built. You know, this is, uh, this is what the moment that we need to see. So I'm not sure if I'm, I would say, you know, any kind of development bank is, is a great idea. You know, if you get funding into the sustainable development goals for each location on earth and, you know, and, and that creates jobs right there for all the citizens of that impoverished country. They need training on the ground and we can do training online now that so, the, the digital divide must end. You know, we need to have uh, training systems and computers and classrooms, digital or physical, you know, everywhere in the world. So people, you know, when we do bring this new technology and, and ways of building, you know, sustainable homes, sustainable food systems, sustainable energy systems, you know, to villages or locations, even, uh, you know, existing cities in the world that need to be completely transformed for energy efficiency and, and renewable power. You know, this is, that's what the Green New Deal is all about. Uh, it needs to be a global Green New Deal because how are we gonna reverse our emissions if we continue under the current paradigm? You know, nothing is really changing unless we have uh, a new system of funding and a new system of, uh, of getting quality infrastructure built and getting the local citizens trained and get them the jobs that they need to create their own sustainable villages in their own sustainable uh, country. Good, excellent. And we do have, and we would like to go to a comment by Tom. He says, I'm curious what Michael thinks about the soon to be released currency by Facebook called Libra. Oh, that, that's a good question. Uh, I was speaking with somebody about that just a day or two ago, and I, it's not something I followed too closely, but uh, I think th there's been huge pushback uh, that, that Facebook was doing this Libra currency because they're so powerful to begin with, and over 2 billion people, if they develop a successful, it's, it's just concentrating more power uh, into Zuckerberg's world than, than he already has, which many critics... Uh, claim, I think correctly, is way, way too much. Uh, he has a significant sway over what 2.3 billion people in the world see and then the algorithms that drive them into certain places where it's not done logically or organically or correctly, but in more to drive engagement and profits for his platform. And so that's maybe overgeneralizing and being too critical, but I think, um, what I heard was that Libra has largely failed and it's on hold. And uh, I think that's a good thing. It's definitely a story that we need to keep an eye on. I think, you know, that the, the main thing is that would be a centralized and essentially controlled currency. Right. Uh, in, a, in a way, you know, you look at uh, several, one more thing, several major banks have created their own cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, and just a few years ago, the, the bigger banks are like, uh, Guys like Jamie Dimon were going on CNN and they're saying, you know, 
Bitcoin is, you know, it's a fraud and it's for yeah. drug deals and it's for underground dark money and all these things. But look what they're doing. They're developed, they've developed their own cryptocurrency because, you know, blockchain and other forms of cryptocurrency, it's an inevitable technology play, I would say. It is happening and it's, you know, Bitcoin just jumped over $20,000 today. Oh. It, and so we... <laughs> It, there's so many advantages to the system of global monetary transfers on a blockchain, which is much better than their current system. And they know that. So they've created their own uh, centralized cryptocurrency. It's called a Ripple or XRP, which is uh, being adopted by many of the biggest banks. And so that is another form of a centralized cryptocurrency. What we would rather see is a decentralized global currency, which will serve the poorest of the poor, right? And that's uh, one thing I would add on our platform. What we would hope to achieve is at least the platform in the system where we could have a global system of universal basic income. If you have that digital identity and we can tie it to a digital bank and if we can get a cell phone in their hands, there's like mm -hmm. something like 5 billion, four or 5 billion, correct me, cell phones in the world this is a handheld computer and it can run banking so if we can get that digital identity established and connect it to a, a workable verified you know online bank then you've got a platform where you know just like we see here in the united states in the pandemic we had a, a, a universal well 180 million people i think got a 1200 dollars bonus in their accounts right so we know it can be done you know it's not it's not a impossible and so what if you did that on a global that's how you get people out of extreme poverty they're just trying to survive and, and get the very 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 basics met yeah. i think if we get them to that one billion undocumented people if we can get them the digital identity and and access to banking that's how you uh you can start have a, a viable plan to end extreme poverty wow michael yay this is so uh, not only interesting and informative, but very hopeful and exciting. So, and you've, you've covered so much. Thank you. This is, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank now you. Um, it looks like we're out of time. So I'm going to give it back to Arthur. Arthur, take it away. And, and Cynthia still trying to come back on. Let me see a second. I don't know. Cynthia? Thank you so, so much. Oh my goodness. I am blown away. This is such a philosophically beautiful idea. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I, and, and to that point, uh, what, what was that moment that, that you realized that, that this was the thing that you were going to do? Like, what was that aha moment for you? And, and, and I understand if it's kind of off topic, but oh my God, it's just so philosophically beautiful. <laughs> no, it, thank you. <laughs> If that question is for me, uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I think in a very interesting way, I've been on a very parallel journey to Arthur and Melanie over the past 10 years. And I wish I had discovered World Citizen 10 years ago. What I did discover 10 years ago was global citizenship. And, uh, and I started learning more about it in this universal philosophy that is, you know, global citizenship is based on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as well. And so, that, that was an officially promulgated document by the United Nations. And so I think as we move forward, we need to focus on how do we establish a legal framework and, and that there is a true legal weight to these individual sovereign 
nodes for each individual citizen. And that becomes a legal framework that to, to build off of where, you know, I am a human being on this planet. And, you know, with all the technology we have today, if we ran things correctly, if we managed the world correctly, we could feed the world three times over and we could end the use of fossil fuels. There's no doubt about that. And Buckminster Fuller stated it, I think, 40 years ago. We now have the technology to take care of everyone on earth at a level that nobody has ever known. That and, uh, and we just need to rework our systems. It's the system. It's not necessarily that we have horrible people everywhere. I think it's the fact is that a lot of good people are engaged in these systems that are intractable in a way. And we're locked into these institutions that seem monumental and unchangeable, you know, these huge nation states, these huge banks that, you know, we could never change them. But I think it's our, our lesson is we, we do need to change them in order to solve our global problems. Excellent. And Cynthia, I wanted to jump in real quick. Cynthia? Uh, yes, I, I could not agree more. We keep repeating these same historical cycles and nobody seems to, to understand that. Um, I would like just a heartfelt invitation to you to, to please come to agora-iop.org um, because it resolves for a lot of, a lot of the issues uh, that have been discussed here today as far as the power structure and how it affects what needs to happen. Um, so, so please, thank you, thank you, thank you, yep. thank you, thank you. <laughs> Put it in the chat so we can see it in the chat. Put your uh, reference there. And you can also save, everybody can save the chat by going to the three dots, clicking on them, and save chat. Well, this has been a, a wonderful and delightful uh, hour with you, Michael. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, this is uh, actually the last, uh, we're going to have a, a, a social meeting after this, but this is the last official uh, meeting of the year, right? Melanie can tell you what's uh, coming up next. Right, so we're off for Christmas, our holiday break, and uh, so we'll be back for the first uh, Wednesday in January with a little social, find out what everybody's been doing over the holidays, so we'll get back with that, and then we have some great speakers coming up in January, we'll get those on the website, so yeah, so no, um, no meeting uh, next Wednesday or the following Wednesday, so two Wednesdays for the holidays, and then we'll be back uh, January, uh, the first Wednesday in January. So yeah. yeah, have a wonderful holiday, everybody. Hope you have yes, a good time. Yes, we're, we're getting started our holiday, but we're also finishing up uh, touches on getting ready for the uh, public broadcasting station. Uh, our, our movie, The World Is My Country, is going out on public broadcasting stations all, the, all over the country in April. And we've just engaged this fantastic station relations rep who has many exciting ideas about how we can uh, get this out on the World Channel and really uh, make something big of this for, for reaching out across the country and getting people to think about this. And then, of course, uh, we need to get it out on television stations around the world. So uh, this is the beginning of getting people to recognize these, uh, these beautiful uh, shifts in the world. So uh, Michael, uh, thank you so much for sharing this. Good luck with your investment in your podcast. And maybe you have a uh, one last short important thing. Uh, so many new organizations are coming and I think that's that's my short-term goal is gosh you know, there's a lot of organizations that are working towards world unity and if if anything let's unify all of these organizations 
that are trying to do the same thing in parallel and may not be aware of each other. And let's see if we can unite them. And I think then, then we can like find out what the best tools are and, and also garner resources to get, get cracking on, on building this network. Great. Well, I see Tom giving a thumbs up on that. And thank you with that. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we love you all. Great discussion. And have a very, very happy holiday. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions. Heading in one way. One way.